Hello everyone, I am Harry Foku and I connect businesses in the gaming industry with freelance tech solutions and I'm your host. Welcome everyone to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. Today I'm joined by Martin Ananda, Lisa Kreshmer, Robin Passetti and Sophie Forsell to discuss great leadership in gaming. Before we begin, let's start with some introductions. Martin, do you want to kiss us, kick us off? <laughs> kiss us off, I can do that too. No, but... Uh... Uh, my name is Martin Anander. I've uh, been in the industry for 16 years this year. Uh, I'm the CEO of Tic Tac Toe, uh, which is a small indie developer. We're five people since last week, and uh, we want to do systemic gameplay and game design. I've been a I've been a manager. I've been a programmer. I've been a designer. I've done a bunch of different things in the industry. Great, Lisa. Can you? Give us a quick introduction. Absolutely. Hi, uh, my name is Lisa Kretschmer. I'm originally from Germany uh, and after living in the UK, I'm now in Sweden and here I work for Massive Entertainment, which is part of uh, Ubisoft. And I'm a producer and responsible for the gameplay team of Avatar Frontiers of Pandora as part of the core leadership group of the project. Lovely. And Robin, can you please give us an introduction? Yeah, so I'm Robin Passetti and I've been in the industry for a bit over 20 years and I been working mostly on online games and game as a service and yeah i currently work for client games as executive producer and um yeah i'm happy to be here and to share yeah to learn more about everyone's experience lovely and sophie how about you yes um hello my name is sophie Fressel. i'm located and born swedish uh so i have experience within different um, areas in the tick uh, industry so like programmer for nine years uh architects manager product leading and now uh, i'm a contractor producer uh so my next contract i have vacation now but my next contract will be in with king fantastic all right so you all have a question or statement on what makes a great leader in the gaming industry so let's start with lisa please could you tell us your question and the context behind it. Yes, uh, I would love to know or to talk about uh, how you build and retain a healthy team, right? Because you all come from different experiences, different team sizes, and now we're all coming out of a pandemic, which can make things particularly challenging. I would love to talk about that and hear how you build and retain a healthy team. Nice. So I'm going to let Sophie start this one off. Sophie, what are your thoughts? Yes, um, it's a little... Uh depending on the definition of a healthy team. Uh, for my, a healthy team can handle their uh, regular tasks. Uh, they can know uh, how, when to ask for help, the problem solving of every day. And they also uh, can have conflicts in the team. They have conflicts with other people, but they can handle it and they can solve it together within the team. So they trust each other. Uh, that is a healthy team for me. Uh, and how to build that. Uh, I have actually, I have built new teams. Uh, I have experience of that. And I also have turned a team that was very negative. In It was a negative spiral. And it didn't, I saw directly that they didn't trust each other. And they were overloaded because they couldn't say no or their voices weren't heard by people. Uh, so that is very important uh, for someone that they stir leader to go in and, and to actually listen to the people. And then to start to build the trust again within uh, the team and also to talk to people outside the team to so they can understand the situation that they, they will need some time to actually um, well start to 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 trust each other to work together to to uh, do their, their task in a good way and, and maybe it's a knowledge sharing or or building knowledge within the team. Lovely. How about Robin? What are your thoughts? So 
uh, I think when you want to retain a team and build a team, you know, I think what is what I would recommend for everyone is to think about what is the purpose of the team itself. You know, what, the, what is the overall objective? You know, that they need to come together as a team to achieve. You know, and that's one of the big challenge um, for projects. Though know, as they they grow and over time, like the project keeps changing. So when the goalpost keeps moving, you know, it's quite hard to have the objective, you know, always changing. And so that's why milestones are important. So people have the chance to achieve something and they can rally behind those goals. But I think in the over long period of time, I think what I found quite helpful as a complement to this is to define the values and the, the, the of those this team, right? To have sort of tenets, you know, and leadership principles that you want to attach to a team so they know what identity they have and belonging to that team and belonging to those values and having people really engage in those values is a good way for yeah giving them a sense of belonging and a sense of camaraderie um, and that hopefully will help them weather the storm you know when the storm will arrive because we're in the game industry there's always a storm coming so yeah nice how about you martin yeah so i, I noted three things that i think are super important for for a, a healthy team. And I think the first one is just chemistry. And I've usually been part of small teams when I've been in a manager position. So just personal chemistry. Like if, 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 if most people talk out loud and they say what they think, then everyone has to be of that kind of, that kind of person, or you're always going to step on someone's toes and that's going to be painful for that person. So I think it's super important that just the chemistry, the chemistry works and that can mean different things for different teams and different things for different people, but everyone has to be comfortable in the environment and be able to talk the way they want to talk and be accepted for that. I think that is extremely important, just the chemistry. Uh, I've even uh, so opted to choose maybe someone who has less experience, for example, but fit the chemistry better simply because it's in my experience more important because you can learn some subsets of skills, but you can't really learn to be a better person, if to phrase it bluntly. Um, and the second one is just empowerment to, to make sure that the people you're, you have working for you in your team, they actually feel that they can make a difference, that if they say something, people listen, that it matters that they are there in a way. Um, I think that is extremely important. And and that one of those things is is that you have to take everyone's sort of fears and and. and worries seriously if you're if you're in any kind of manager role and someone comes to you with a, with a thing and you think it's maybe that sounds stupid you can never think that you can't you're not allowed to you have to take their fears and, and thoughts seriously and the and the last one is that you can't always win right sometimes there's a person that just doesn't fit there's a person who always ends up sort of struggling with another person and then you have to be the one to make the hard decision like do we have to move this person to another department do we have to maybe even use even harsher methods like warnings and those kinds of things or, or promote someone and and you know somehow it needs to change and, and the manager whoever that is needs to be the person to change it right so i, I think those three things like chemistry, empowerment, and that you can't always win. I think those three are maybe what I'd point to as the most important. Nice. I want to bring that back to Lisa. What have you found to be useful when you were building and also retaining uh, a healthy team? Yeah, that's uh, good that this question comes back. Thanks. Um, super interesting to hear your answer. Thank you for, for, for sharing your thoughts on that, uh, first of all. Um, I'm also thinking, of course, you know, my first thought about it was like, okay, yeah, you know, coming from production roadmaps and how to build it, how to keep it healthy and maintainable and, and these kind of things. Right. And then I kind of thought about the retention aspect of things. And I, I thought, okay, what, what do I need personally? Right. What, what do I want? Um, and there's a lot about also about 
you know, we invest in a company when, when we start with them, right? Uh, not only our time, but, you know, our, our, our passions, our motivation. So we also kind of expect that um, something comes back. So for me, what I found personally very, very important as well as also like learning opportunities, right? Like like the chance to develop yourself and, and, and maybe sometimes that means, you know, uh, you, you grow on responsibility or maybe some some people might uh, change discipline or whatever right but that there's kind of allowance for that right that we kind of um, see where, where we best fit and where we where we can help most and when I say help is because you know as a leader you're often you know supporting other other people right in their in their growth and in their development so um, for me it's very important that um, yeah, there's that learning and growth opportunity aspect uh, in a company that uh, uh, to, to help retain talent. Nice. I like it. I wanted to ask a bit of a follow-up question, but before I do that, Sophie, you had something to say. Uh, yes. So um, uh, when, I, when I hear all of you, um, I think it's also important for a, a leader in this kind of uh, setup to know yourself because a team will notice if you are stressed out, uh, if you go on a lot of meetings, if you can only like you take your time for the team but they notice if you only have like half an hour and you need to rush to someone something else so i think it's important that if they have a problem that they want to take up with you you set up the time and you have some time after that like meeting or uh, that day and uh, the other thing i was thinking about is also uh, of course there can always be troubled people in a team uh, i um, met those people <laughs> as well <laughs> and I think the first thing is just to uh, get to the bottom of why does this person behave like this uh, what is the reason if you're a manager it could be um, you can actually go uh, to the bottom of it uh, it could be something that the, the person is not happy at home or happy at work it could be a stressed out situation uh, or that that person is the most experienced in the team and it's not fun to be that uh, so first of all just an um, investigation and then uh, if the behavior doesn't change uh, then uh, I always first approach it with a constructive feedback and very clear feedback on what the behavior is when this is uh, happening and why it's not okay to have that behavior like it could be a negative behavior for the team uh, so everyone is feeling sad for that yeah i think that's kind of the hardest part right when you're having those negative conversations but like you said they were necessary and can't really wait on them i wanted to explore a bit more on the retaining side of the question uh, so when you're retaining a team and you want it to be obviously a healthy team i'm thinking like methods of doing it so like my examples are evolution, we have socials, we have kind of forced time, not forced, we have time that we spend together that is kind of built into the diary. And I feel like that really helps uh, with retention because it, you're connected to the company, you're connected to your colleagues, and it's all in a nice, healthy way. And I'm wondering if there's anything you guys do uh, in your experience when you're trying to retain a healthy team. Lisa? Yeah, I think... Uh... Uh, socials was also something I thought about when I wrote down that question and especially during this pandemic it felt so short right because we haven't had the chance uh, so I wonder how many 
how many teams have uh, played Among Us during that time, because I know that almost all of us had at some point some kind of digital meetup where we played Among Us and, uh, you know, we kind of gave everyone some budgets so or people would, you know, go to like uh, like an online delivery service and they got some, some food delivered and we were sitting at home and then people might uh, have a drink, we have a chat and we played Among Us, these kind of things to just keep us together during, during that time, right? Um, because, yes, you kind of see faces uh, on the camera all day, but uh, it kind of, you know, that personal connection uh, was harder to to maintain, right? So, yeah, that's also something we did uh, as well, and that's something we do, right? Um, I think summer fests and winter parties, and these kind of things are the usuals, but also just, um, you know, meeting in the evening and then maybe also play some tabletop games or, you know, make sure that uh, we, we meet for lunches. And sometimes uh, we have a couple of people that, that use uh, their, their wellness hour, right? And they drive to the beach and they have their lunch there, right? Some of them even go swimming, doesn't matter the weather, and then they go back. So that's also really great for like team building and bonding and retaining because you kind of, uh, you know, if, if you have colleagues that, that you like and that you enjoy and that it clicks, right? Uh, of course, it's much easier to, to, to stay with the company, right? Uh, so there's a lot of that we're doing as well. But um, of course, as well, like, you know, learning development opportunities, classes, courses, books, all these kind of things. And, and um, I think there are lots of opportunities. There's probably 20 things I'm missing. Um, so I'm giving it to Robin. I mean, I fully agree with everything you say, right? So uh, I think the people are need to share common experiences together, right? In social, right? Online, you know? And so you covered very well, I think, the, um, these aspects. And, and I think that being more on the business side or like the way to operate, I would say it maybe reinforces one of the, you know, the ideas that people should play the game together, right? So we're building a game together as a team. Every week, you know, having people just taking the time to really stop whatever they're doing and just like try to enjoy the game to make it a collective experience or whatever project it is, by the way. That's a good tool that's quite useful, I think, in a way to like crystallize a bit that kind of um, attachment, I guess. Oh, amazing. I mean, I'm trying to think, imagine a team that enjoys playing the game they're making together. Then you think, wait, don't you want every team to have that? That sounds like exactly what you're looking for. Awesome. Lovely. So let's move on to the next question. The next question is coming from Martin. What is your question? and the context behind it. All right, so since we're a new small studio, there's plenty of talking to recruits or potential recruits and, and just the whole recruitment circus. And uh, I, I've always sort of had a hard time. How do you approach saying no to a candidate? I mean, if especially if it's a candidate you've already talked to several times maybe and you might actually be interested in, it's just that it's not a good fit right now and so on. So the question I have is how do you say no to a candidate? Awesome. I'll give that to Robin to start off. All right. So, yeah, I've been in that situation many times, you know, like, you know, everyone has been in the street, you know, we, we're meeting so many people for interviews. And I think it's a continuation, right? It's just only about saying no at the end. I think ideally when you talk to that candidate over time, you can establish some kind of connection. And regardless if the candidate will be successful or not, you know, ideally you want that connection to not be damaged by the decision. And, and my recommendation is to try to be as empathic as possible in that discussion that you have with a candidate. So you're trying to understand why this candidate wants to join and what skills that candidate can bring and you understand and try to explain to the candidate what you need, right? And what I found the most effective and is to be actually pretty straightforward in terms of explaining, okay, so we understand these values that you're providing, like also these um, these qualities that you could bring to the company. We, we you basically mirror a bit everything that you've seen positively the candidate to see that the candidate has been acknowledged. You know, we have been spending time with that person to understand. 
and then we explain what what we need and where we see some disconnect, right? And that's a way for you to justify it. But then I try to always find that this is a small industry, you know, maybe it's not working out now. We might need your skills later on or we might need again, you know. So it's I've been working in this industry for a while and, and there are some people I've been for, in five different companies with, right? That we keep meeting each other. So you never know. So I think the, you have to make it as positive as possible, even if it's a say or no one. Yeah, some candidate will not like it, you know, because everyone is different. But at least, you know, you try to make it as friendly and respectful as possible. That's the, um, and be honest, and like the, that's about the reason. I think this way you don't have to remember any excuses. You just be as straightforward as possible. And, and sometimes, because that sounds maybe like a candid answer and pretty easy, but actually uh, I've told some pretty, you know, insider aspect basically of why some candidates couldn't be considered, right? So, and trying to be really open and showing that not everything is rosy, you know, say, hey, well, you're a very structured person. You're very professional, you're very organized, these are very good qualities, but our company is in current chaos, right? We're, it's a startup, it's messy, if you like this, you know, and, and we think that it will be hard for you to adapt because we, our processes are all over the place. And even if we want to get better, it's going to take some time. And I think it's, it's you might not be a fear fit because of that, because it'll be extremely difficult for you to deal with people that don't document their code or something like that, right? So acknowledging your own weaknesses could be a way for people to accept it better. Well, that's sort of good fit for me. That's lovely. I like that a lot. Sophie, have you already had any experience with this? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, I think Robin said uh, most of the things. Uh, so my <laughs> my initial response was like, how do you say no to a candidate? No. <laughs> uh, but uh, well, seriously, it's important to be uh, very clear and honest. Uh, I think uh, I, I don't believe to wrap it up in a nice package uh, too much because that can confuse the candidates and that they don't understand if it was a no or a yes. Uh, so I think, I think it's important just that you bring that word. I'm sorry that we didn't choose you. We will say no to you. Uh, and this is the reason. So then you give feedback and an explanation. Uh, I don't think it should be uh, too much of uh, uh, a prolonged explanation because that can also feel like an excuse. Um, so just, uh, yeah, and, and be sympathetic um, that you understand that candidate really wanted to work there, uh, especially if you have a long process with this candidate, then that this part is very important because uh, it could be that you want this candidate in the future. Uh, so you have to uh, build a nice picture of the company uh, that they can uh, search in another um, another year or that in, a, in another position, another department. Uh, but just this kind of job, um, you've chosen someone else or uh, that fits better to the culture um, or this kind of role or, or it's it could be experience or something. Um, so the candidate doesn't feel like this is personal. They will feel it like it's personal anyway, but. <laughs> you can be sympathetic about it, but they can always be uh, improve uh, themselves uh, if they want to work at your company in the future. Nice. Lisa, any thoughts? Yeah, I think um, from my side, it's also, it, as Sophie was saying, it also depends on what stage of the interview process you're in, right? Are you in interview one or interview six or seven, right? So I think that also depends. But the, late, the, more, the later you are, uh, the, the more important it is that there's feedback in it or for example if if we have uh, people giving like work um how to say tests or or assignments right like like a like a design test or something right then then you have to give them feedback right hey what was good and what maybe needs to be improved right because otherwise uh, it feels like a waste of time right um so i think it's very important that that 
that for these things that there's definitely uh, more feedback than maybe on a regular no sorry it didn't work out email but i think the later it is in the, in the process it should not be uh, the template standard answer that we send um, and and first i went looking at this question with oh yeah give me give me the more details to improve myself the better but then again i also looked at it okay i've been on the receiving end what would i really like to receive right and then maybe getting a lot of feedback can also be daunting right you can be like oh do i really want to hear all the reasons why it's a no so i personally then thought about this and and uh, I think in the past I had companies uh, giving me a call, for example, um, as, as Sophie was saying, that maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a company that wants to work with you at some point in the future and it just didn't work out because they needed someone sooner, for example. And then it's really nice if they give you actually a call and explain it, right, um, and say, hey, but please keep in touch, etc. So that can be really, really nice. Um, but otherwise, I think um, it's really good to give a bit of a personal touch to it. Hey, we really loved this and this for this and that reason, it unfortunately didn't work out, but please stay in touch. So I think um, that that is kind of the amount of length that that I would like to receive. Awesome. Let's bring that back to Martin. You've had recent experience of this, I'm assuming, given your question. Yeah. What are you thinking? I mean, recent experience, I guess, from both ends. But <laughs> but but uh, I think it's fascinating. And uh, and it's also this thing about honesty where, where it's a double-edged sword, kind of. Because I, I know from processes I had where there were long processes and then just a flat no and no information. And that felt really weird. Um, and and I've also been part of processes on the, on the other side where I really didn't feel that the person would fit into our company for, for previous mentioned, mentioned reasons, right? Like the chemistry wasn't right or something. And that's not really something you might want to say. Um, like, I don't think people would like you in our team. That's not very great feedback. Um, you can't do anything with that feedback. So, so I, I really like the Robin's approach here to to sort of use the weaknesses of your company as the reason. So to project the reason onto you instead of instead of telling the person that they are a bad person or something. But uh, but I, I I I think it is tricky because it's also I mean it also depends a bit on where the candidate is coming from. Like if if a good friend recommends someone and I turn that someone down, there's a different relationship than if it's one out of a hundred applications, for example. So so I think it's a very like like with any kind of relationship, any kind of, of, of conversation, there's there's always dynamics at play that are not related directly to the actual subject. So so I think I think it's interesting. But but I also don't think there's a clear cut answer, of course. It's it's very complicated. Um, right right now we've had very specific roles that we've asked for, but once we want to have production employees, I think it's going to be different because then there's going to be more people to talk to and we might not actually know exactly what we need. Uh, it's more of a thing where you know it when you see it kind of thing. And and then it's harder to give feedback. So yeah, it's 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 extremely tricky. It's uh, it's uh, I think recruitment is one of the hardest parts, at least of my job. Robin, you have something to say? Yeah, I, I, I really agree. And, and I thank you like for everyone for like sharing their different perspectives because there is no clear cut, you know, ways to handle it. You have to measure who is the candidate, where your company is and what you're willing to say as well, you know, and that that's kind of a challenge. The um what I found, I will just add like it's an additional challenge is people sometimes don't really have all the information to give to the candidate as well. Because if it's the HR department declining candidate, they might not have all the feeling of information required. And I think it's well down to the hiring manager to do a good job about this and gathering that. But what I've seen in, especially in fast growing startups, like the hiring managers usually are extremely busy and not sometimes not even trained properly to handle those things. So 
it's hard to make a proper policy because it really depends on who is going to be handling that situation. And this is where this is very tricky. So it will be quite maybe a chat for another podcast about like how do you create a systemic way to handle your recruitment pipeline in a healthy way. So when in a fast growing, <laughs> I don't know, but I think that's the Due to many variables, I think there's nothing that replaces, I guess, experience and, and having mentors around. What do you think, Sophie? Uh, I, I think that it's, uh, in, if we're talking about like recruitment process, who is a good candidate, it's uh, important to have different uh, people joining the interviews uh, in different uh, days as well, because a candidate could be very energetic uh, one day, but uh, it could... Um, he or she could be tired another day and also get uh, different inputs from different people. So the dynamic uh, or chemistry of the person is the same. And uh, I've experienced also that some candidates are, uh, they're, they're saying that they can something, but they really can't. I'm a programmer from my <laughs> earlier life, uh, so to speak. Uh, so I actually know which kind of questions to ask to, to look for in a programmer. Uh, but they don't know that. <laughs> so for me, it's very simple. But if you don't have that experience, it's nice to have a, another team member that have that programming experience and can uh, ask those controlling questions, but uh, have the that in the flow of the conversation. Uh, so then you have a very clear uh, feedback to that candidate if you say no, that, uh, well, we, we really need uh, uh, that you have the experience or knowledge of this programming language um, when we asked you these uh, questions, you replied a little, um, not um, not in the way that we uh, was expecting or we wanted more. Uh, so unfortunately, we can't uh, go on with you or we need to see. More. Awesome. Lovely. Let's wrap that up. Let's change direction slightly. Uh, Sophie, what is your question and the context behind it? Yes. Uh, I can start with the context. Uh, I have not uh, worked in the gaming industry until this um, January. So that is my first experience from gaming industry. Uh, but I have an education in game, develop, uh, game development. So my question is based on that. Uh, what kind of experience and qualities does a great leader in gaming industry have. Lovely. I'm going to let Lisa start us off on this one. Oh, and then you probably have to stop me because there's so much I want to say. Um, but uh, let me try to summarize it a little bit. So I think, um, I mean, it's a flexible and diverse environment, right? So I think one of the qualities is that I think a lead has to also stay flexible and open-minded in this. And there's lots of qualities uh, I would love for a lead to bring, right? So assuming I would hire someone, etc., right? What would I look out for? Uh, or what would I, in my team, you know, like to foster? And I think um, trust is, of course, establishing trust and, and knowing how to do that by, by by being reliable themselves, right? And also doing the follow-ups and doing the legwork and, and these kind of things, I think is very important to me, uh, allowing for mistakes, right? And, and also then admitting, being humble and admitting, actually, I don't know, you know what? I'm getting back to you on this one. I think it's very important to, to to also build a culture of psychological safety. So I think this is for me one of the qualities that, that I find very important. Um, and as part of this, I believe it's very important to listen and really listen, right? So not just listen to answer next, but really hear what's going on, you know, taking the whole body language and, and you know, I think emotional intelligence in that sense is, is, is very important, um, but also encourage your team to share their opinion, right? Be empathetic and transparent, authentic and respectful with their opinions and with their thoughts, with their feelings. 
give back what you would like to receive, basically. Um, and for me, it's super important that we just leave our ego out the door, right? Especially as, as leads. Uh, this is for me the most important thing because that can cause so much trouble. Um, but as with all of this, I think it's also important to be assertive when needed because someone trusted us as leads to take executive decisions when, when needed, right? And it's sometimes a bit hard to find the right balance between listening to the team and then also, you know, making a decision that might not be 100% uh, matching, you know, everyone's opinion, etc. So I think um, having good communication skills uh, as part of this uh, is, is very important, right? To, to, to then also be transparent why certain decisions have been made. So I think there's a lot in that, and we can also talk a little bit of servant leadership, these kind of things, but I think I give the word to the next person before I keep talking and talking to, Ma uh, to Martin. All right, so um, I, I thought for the first question it was a good thing to write a list of three things, so I did that now too. Um, but first of all, I think one thing that I, I've seen the value of several times, but I don't think everyone cares that much about is a long-term perspective. So not just thinking in terms of next milestone or even next release, thinking in terms of every salary, every paid salary being an investment, for example, this person, what is this person going to give us a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, and the technology we're building the art pipeline we're ex experimenting with every single sort of decision will feed into the long term for your company for your studio for everything um so i think that long-term thinking is i would say it's rare at least in my experience um because you usually have the much more practical things to solve like paying salaries this month <laughs> uh, if you're in that kind of situation but um, but i do think the long-term perspective helps even even if you maybe don't think it should but it will um, and the second, second thing is kind of related to that, I guess, but respecting expertise. If you have a very good programmer, a very good designer, artist, anyone on your team, you should not go to them and say, oh, couldn't you try this instead? Because they are not going to see you, the individual, they're going to see you, the boss, and they're going to take everything you say on face value and run with it, even if it's not the right decision. Because, and, and, and to me, that is one of the most common sort of abuse is a strong word, but one of the most common abuses of power that I've seen, it's like going to a programmer and saying, is this possible? And thank, I mean, unfortunately, due to pride, a lot of people will not say no. They will say, yeah, it's possible. And then you will add that to the schedule and the schedule grows and there's overtime because otherwise we can't deliver on time. Um, so, so respecting expertise, respecting that you are not a developer typically, respecting that, that even even the casual word you say near the coffee machine can be taken on face value um, because you are the manager and you're paying their salary. So it's, it, I think this is probably, uh, I've seen this many times in companies that have grown quickly, for example. For So if you have a company that started in a basement or started small in some other way, and then they grow organically, you will sometimes get this simply because they were always very open and casual, and now they are 500 people. Um, and that's everyone who's been coming into the company, they don't have the same uh, perspective. So, so the last point related to both of those is basically you, your job is to be the facilitator for everyone, make sure that everyone can do their best job um, and to stay out of the way when you have to, and to be annoying when you have to. <laughs> um, so I think that's, that's maybe my three main points for a good game manager. Awesome. Robin. So yeah, these are very good points, and 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 I, I think it's really um, I think it covers basically different layers of management as well that we have to, we have to talk about layers management because there are like three key layers. First, basically, you know, there's the team leads, right? The um, then you have senior managers, right? And then you have basically still leadership. You can there's middle 
I mean, keep it simple, right? This is the three levels basically about leading people, leading a, a discipline or a, a craft or basically a, some kind of area of expertise basically across multiple uh, domains maybe. And then there is overall studio leadership basically. And these are different type of leaders you need at these levels. Uh, different qualities are required as well. And you cannot just, this is where, when you, when you mentioned that, you know, as team grows, things changes as well. Well, that's part of it as well. You have to understand that your leaders might have different requirements. And one of the things that you also see is a need to separate between people leadership and craft leadership, right? So the ability to manage and engage and be a good leader and grow people in your teams. But then the other aspect is how you, you're basically um, an expert in one domain, right? The subject matter expert, you know, the... Uh, different ways you can call it like a principle list and this is also a path of growth and what I've seen in the past years in the industry is this kind of better understanding that you know it's not because you're best coder that you should be leading the coding team uh, and this is a shift now and more and more companies are getting interested in how those metrics organizations work and how do we offer path of growth for experts and for people leaders and at the same time Understanding that as a company grows, how do we layer an organization and what skills are we required at those different layers? And it's very difficult because we, we're still a very young industry in that regard. I'll bring that back to Sophie. What do you think? Uh, I think uh, it's uh, very uh, similar to what um, manager and leader are in other in industries. Um, so I think in the gaming industry, things can happen maybe a little quicker. Uh, so you need to be flexible. Uh, I really like that... Uh, uh, what Martin, what you said with the long-term view, um, because I've also seen a lot of leaders thinking uh, very short-term and react uh, to things that is happening and not be proactive uh, in things that will happen in the future or as a producer, it uh, could be the next steps in the, uh, in the product or project. Uh, and also... Uh, what do the people want uh, in the team uh, to work on next? You also can take that into consideration when you are planning the roadmap. Uh, so it's not only the things that we, you need to work on this because that will not be motivated uh, motivation for the team. Uh, so yeah, like Robin and Lisa, you said that it's, uh, um, it's also important to be flexible, reliable, and it depends on different type of layers, what kind of leader, uh, which level you are on. Uh, a manager, you have the responsibility for the uh, salaries. So I've also experienced that if you um, <laughs> are asking the team, hey, can you do this? Uh, or how far gone are we? They are uh, getting stressed out because a manager asked them. Uh, so when I was a manager, I actually... Um, went to my product owner or team leaders and said that, hey, can you check this with the team? Uh, because I need to know this as status upwards. But um, I've experienced with this team that they get stressed out if I go and ask them. Uh, so, uh, or that I go to the team and say, I don't want you to change anything in your plans. I just want to hear. <laughs> uh, and uh, this is just so I can keep track of things and plan ahead for the future. So they don't get uh, stressed out that the manager come. Uh, so I like to hear everything uh, like this. I think this is uh, also uh, the different areas if you are experienced leader or if you are new in leadership. I, I've, I've done some uh, faults myself as new new leader uh, and I've learned a lot of them. And I, I like to hear that uh, you all have the same thoughts that uh, I've also experienced as a leader. So, 
thinking. Martin, Martin, what are you thinking? So uh, I, I, I like Robin mentioned craft leadership as something separate from from leadership and management, I guess. And I think that this is a very important point because I've seen many times and I've actually experienced myself right now because I, I sort of mentally picture myself as a developer, but I've realized that there's so many other responsibilities that I have to do that are more important right now than than being a developer. And especially when I see that my team is simply better developers than I am. Um, so I think I've realized that I think being able to step away from development, leave that computer where it is and go to your management computer, be the manager. I think being a leader is a job and it can't be a thing you also do. It has to be a job. Um, and that's, that's actually been a lesson that has been really hard for myself to learn. But I think it's an important lesson for anyone aiming to be a manager of any kind, to be honest, not just in games. It's just management, leadership is a job, and you have to take it seriously, seriously as a job. Different type of leaders, right? And what you need to take into account is which environment you're in, right? So uh, most of us here have been living or working in Sweden, you know, and the leadership you know, qualities in Sweden are different than the one in Spain or, you know, in, in other countries. So uh, I had the, the chance to live and work in different countries as well. And it's been quite sometimes shocking, you know, what, you know, people consider good leadership, right? And that's very different in Sweden than, you know, in Spain. That's, um, I won't talk about like the, what the differences are because I think you'll be, I'm not an expert, right? But I think it's, um, we went through workshops actually at Ubisoft Massive when I was there. Basically, we had cross-cultural leadership. A workshop that was extremely insightful. So that's something you have to take into account because your team members individually might need different things. And you as a leader also, you have to understand your own drives. So uh, last year I had the chance to be um, trained on a new tool, uh, a tool called Management Drives. I don't know if you know it, but there's there's plenty out there. I'm not saying this is the best, but I kind of like this one. It, it tells you what, what is driving you as a leader, right? Some leaders are more driven by, you know, the results, like the people, basically connections, the ideas, the processes, right? So we all have our different drives and we all have a bit of somewhat, but we have some major tendencies. And it's quite important if you understand yourself as a leader to know what are your natural, natural drives so you can make sure that your own team basically have drives that will complete your own leadership style. So you, can, you don't have too many blind spots and try to balance that. So that would be, I think, um, a way to help good leaders or be a bit of leaders is try to identify what is what are your driving forces you know and what are your natural blind spots and how you can mitigate that in, in either by having team members who are different than you awesome i wanted to ask a follow-up question just to kind of dive in on sophie's question where she asked about the qualities but she also asked what kind of experience do you think there's like an essential experience a great leader would need in the gaming industry that they would have to go through to like be a great leader? I, I actually, I, I'm of the school of thought that I think you should have some experience from development of some kind. It doesn't have to be the exact company, it doesn't have to be game development, but I do think to be able to speak the language of developers, you need to have some kind of development experience yourself. Um, and I mean, of course, if you're gonna be a, a, more of a strategic manager, you're not gonna be involved with developers, that's not really good advice anymore. But I do think generally it helps to understand how the sausage gets made. I like it, awesome. All right, let's move on to the final question. So, Robin, lastly, what is your question and the context behind it? So, the question is, how do you get back uh, on track a project and or a team? Which is a, a very broad question, you know, and there's very large ways to do that, I guess. But I think it's really relevant in our industry because due to the passion and creativity of it and the natural chaos that comes with it, how do you make sure that the team doesn't drift and like, keeps, uh, stay on track or 
get back on track, right? So I had the chance to work on many different projects that were facing this, and I would love to have everyone's here insights of how they do it or happiness because I would love to learn from all of you because every new com companies I work with had different type of issues and different type of solutions. And I think it's an endless way. And if I could, you know, have a crash course of learning new tricks, you know, I would love to hear from you. <laughs> Awesome. Martin, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, um, I think there's an expression, I don't, I don't remember where it's from, so it might be misquoted, but uh, there's an expression that it's a short, victorious war. Um, and basically, just to get the people liking the government again, right? Um, give us a short, victorious war. Um, basically, give, give the team a short goal that they will complete. And, and when they complete it, they will just be stronger for it. It can be, build us a prototype, you have a week. Build us some, do a game jam. Just, I mean, do something that involves them on a creative level preferably for me but but it depends on the team um give them something they will complete and 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 let them feel that they completed it right um i also think that just clear instructions clear goals can sometimes help and i think i think it's also usually there's something that causes the the tension or whatever it might be that causes the problems that that derail them and and trying to identify those po points and just removing them and it can be simple things sometimes like uh, I remember one team uh, I was part of we had uh, multiple apps that you were using the same kind of technologies but it was written specifically for each single app which was super painful if they wanted to fix something so then they just took that out and built a module that they could share across it and everyone was just wow this just works and and the realization the team had and then they started making more modules and making everything modular just it sort of spawned it, it spawned a chain reaction um and I, I think that was their short victorious war making the making the module right awesome i'm gonna take that next to lisa please lisa what do you think yeah i think uh, when i when i thought about the question at the beginning uh you know the project manager and me thought quality time budget what mitigation strategies do we have right uh, but I really like what Martin was saying about um, like about the the quick win you know giving people a goal something to achieve in a, in a period of time uh, to just you know get the sense of, of belonging maybe achievement or whatever or maybe was missing what spark was missing get the spark back um, so I think while there are obviously lots of like mitigation strategies around, you know, like, do we have uh, enough people, the right people, do we hire, do we outsource, do we have to review our scope, whatever, there are lots of things, right? Um, I feel a lot of it com comes often down to communication, right? Is it clear, as Martin was saying, is the goal clear, right? Do we communicate right? Do we have um, also maybe the right people in the right place saying the right things? You know, do we maybe as a leadership team have to get to know each other better, have to do a powwow and talk a little bit more about what is the message? What is the vision? Are we actually clear, right? Is, 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 is this uh, clear and trickles down uh, uh, right, because that's that's often where, where it might start. You never know, right? Um, I think it could also be a, a sense of okay, how we work in teams. Maybe should we shake it up a little and and form strike teams so that uh, people work with different people now, right? For for maybe a period of time to try it out. There's lots of different ways to to try, um, but I think very often. Uh, I think he would start with a conversation or maybe even a retrospective of some kind to do post-mortem of, hey, what what went wrong and what could we improve? Um, and maybe do that in all levels, right? From, as you were saying, there are different levels to leadership and different levels of teams and craft teams, discipline teams, strike teams, etc. So to, to, to roll up from that side and see what, what we can do, you know, listen to the people. Like it. Sophie. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I was also in uh, on that um, track uh, that Lisa said with retrospective, uh, because uh, first of all, we'll see what is the problem that uh, the projects can't be uh, 
uh, put on track or uh, why isn't there on track? Why are they always delayed? Uh, and depending on uh, that answer, then you put in a plan uh, as a leader to make sure that the product or team are uh, on track again. So then you can do the, the short term uh, winning solution that Martin suggested. Uh, I usually um, just do a refinement of the product because uh, as I think all of you are, are um, knowledgeable, uh, knowledgeable about uh, the triangle with the, uh, the budget or uh, the time, uh, how the scope is of the project um, and uh, whether it's usually budget or uh, the price of the product. Uh, so most of the time the tree doesn't fit, so you have to change something. Either it's the time of the product or the scope is too large uh, or you need to put more money in the product. Uh, it could also be that the team doesn't have the knowledge. So uh, I usually do a refinement of the product to see those kind of aspects. Uh, maybe we shorten the scope what is need to have, uh, what is nice to have. Uh, and then also see um, the roles in the team. Do we miss some roles? Do we have a producer or a product leader, uh, someone to, to drive the product and help the team uh, with priorities? Uh, is there an, um, only programmers? Do they have designers? Do they have uh, someone that is actually testing the product? Because it could be quality that is the problem. Uh, that the, the game is released and it have too many many uh, bugs or issues uh, and you need to clean up a lot then maybe you didn't test it well enough and so then is the role that is missing or the knowledge in the team and so it depends a little bit about what the, the issue is and first part it is the refinement of the project and also retrospective and put up milestones for the team to meet up so they also are, are part of the process. Uh, they, um, they give input what they think is the, the problem and you also take some aspects what the stakeholders is saying. Um, because as producer you have one foot in the team and one foot uh, with the stakeholders. So that is my my take on this. Martin, Bef sorry. I was just going to say before I bring that to Martin, Robin, can we get an idea from your experience? So thank you for sharing your own experiences. So because that's, you know, helped me to add to, to my own literal internal puzzle. Um, I can share a bit more my experience because where we're talking here, there's different layers of like fixing and putting back a project, you know, uh, listen, and I think you can write books about it. So I'll try to keep it short. Um, but, but I think like the first thing is, there's a first phase, right? There's a self-regulation of the team, right? So you have a team existing, they're on a project, right? They're going off course. And I will say like, when we start to discuss about this, it's when the team didn't, is not managing by itself to put itself back on track. So the question is you as uh, a senior manager, team leader, whomever is responsible for that project, and usually it would be a game, right? So is um, one of the ingredients need to change. And, and yeah, like Sophie mentioned some of the key elements. I will just add one aspect, which you added like team aspect. You said adding people, but I think it's also ramping up some people or even removing some people as well. And that, that is the, the tricky part, right? And so we go back to like, how do you say no to candidates? I think you also have to be able to say no to, okay, so someone saying, sorry, you're not the right person for this team. It's very difficult or, and what I also found is, so what will bring people uh, a team and a, a Back, uh, team back and project back is to this vision, right? And who is defining that vision? And usually what I found is when a project goes off track, usually is you, you have a creative team that is kind of lost at one point. They had a vision 
and they got lost in the woods, which is part of the normal creative process. And then you have to redefine at which phase you are, if in the pre-production, concept phase, or in production, right? So you have to solve these things a bit differently. But generally speaking is, how do you get back the trust of the team of their own vision? And usually what I've seen, and I would say in Sweden, there might be even more maybe a kind of tendency, is because we want to be very consensus-driven, involve everyone, team about everyone chipping in. It's hard to have a vision where everyone can chip in. Because having a strong vision means about saying no to something. There's some exclusion that needs to be done. Is this part of the vision of the game or not? And in a culture that wants to embrace, and I really value that, like the input of everyone, is helping the creative direction, the creative directors, or like the, the neurosoft, to have basically a very strong framework of rules that they establish with the team about what is part of the creative direction or not. So those ideas don't corrupt the initial intent. And it's very difficult to maintain that over time. And that's why you have to be very, very thorough in establishing those tenets for that game and who is it for is very early on. Um, but not too early, because then after you put too much uh, <laughs> blocks, and then you break the creativity aspect. So that's the that's the, the producer magic that needs to come in and say at which point like we are ready to move to the next stage. So that that's so that's basically this is about putting back the power as well into one or few key individuals about specific topics. Because what I've seen over and over is when there's a big problem, everyone wants to help. But solutions require to establish a strategy and that strategy um, may or may not work and some other strategy may or may not work as well. But the worst thing is when you try to do multiple strategies at the same time. And this is happening over and over in my experience because everyone has an idea of how it should be fixed. And because people are afraid to do a mistake, they will open that door. And at the same time, it's very tempting that when you're going to a strategy that there will be some mistakes and challenge to be thinking back on track to not continue and be a bit more resilient, you know, and, and focus on that strategy over time and then switch back to something else at the first blocker, right? So when you want to change some things, there will be a, a period of modification that will be shaky and you, you have to be able to be strong enough to hold still so you can actually prove some ideas, some concepts to see that they work. And that is very difficult. Uh, and that means you need to have put the trust enough in the person that's supposed to solve it. And that's all about trust. So, that's a bit long, sorry. But it, uh... Awesome. Uh, Sophie, you had thoughts? Uh, yes. So uh, it, a lot of thoughts came up when uh, Robin, when you um, talked about the different areas uh, of uh, what the problem could be. And um, um, it could, one of the issues could be that uh, how many people are involved in the product and have a say in it. Uh, so it could be very confusing for the team if different people come to them and say, hey, this is more important than that. And someone else say the opposite. Uh, so then the team doesn't know who to listen to. It's not a clear leader. Then. Um, so if they know that it's, always, it's only the producer that can say something, uh, then they can always say that, hey, you need to talk to our producer. Uh, then you can decide priority uh, with that person. And um, the other aspect is that uh, I believe that the team needs to have mandate. Uh, they need to have uh, a sense of understanding what the vision is. Uh, they need to know what they are building. Uh, there is a saying that if you ask a programmer, for instance, uh, what are you building? And they are putting um, like building blocks in front of them. One person says, well, I put building blocks here. <laughs> and you go to the next person and said, well, I think I build a wall. Um, this is my vision. And the next person says, well, it's going to be a cathedral in the future. So it's, I think that is important for the team to know what are you building? What are your uh, final goal? 
then you can have that vision. You don't need to build the cathedral the first day. <laughs> it takes time. You have milestones. Um, but then they are owning their development uh, or the project as well. They are responsible if things go things goes well or bad. And that is empowering the team. I love it. Awesome. Uh, Martin, did you have any points? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I uh, I think there's so many great points made already, but uh, I'm thinking about another angle sort of too, because it, a lot of times it can be stress, it can be things that pull a team down. Um, and, and I mean, that's sort of where the short be choice work comes from as well. But I, I also know that a lot of teams, they will end up in a position where there's blame culture. Whose fault is this? Whose fault is that? And whose fault is the other thing? And, and avoiding that especially when there's a lot of stress and actively working to to lift people up instead so not instead of whose fault is it what is the problem and how do we solve it and avoid it in the future i think think that's that's also powerful a powerful powerful thing to work for robin what are you thinking yeah i would just like to like go on martin's side you know like this blame culture is definitely one of the, the disease in in many teams that we have to get rid of you know in every <clears throat> every environment and and what, what i found is when the team start to blame each other about the faults and this is kind of dynamic. I think there's like two key drivers, basically, I would say is one is lack of leadership across the, the overall team, because that is basically that is something that festers, you know, when there's lack of leadership. Right? And, and the lack of leadership is transferred by not being able to clearly find the accountability of everyone in this cathedral we're building something, you know, you know we're we'll. So who is responsible for building the cathedral, right? But like, then who is responsible for the wall and this? And then you cannot blame like you're doing. And that is about communication, you know, and also keeping people accountable over time. And this is very difficult because you have to have the hard discussions. You know, it's well, you were supposed to build that wall for the Friday, and now the team is suffering. You know, like don't look at anyone else. You're the one responsible, and that requires strong leadership because you need to be able to have those discussions in a very honest and transparent way and in a helpful way as well and making people it's actually about empowering people actually this accountability comes also by empowering but it is very challenging and we have so many young leaders and you know that still need to grow a lot in our industry that it's very difficult and and i also say you know like it's always comes from the top and you have to be really really good leader to inspire and make people feeling safe so they don't feel that they need to blame someone else right they just need to and, and so yeah, that is very difficult to do overall because it's um you know it's like those management books they all have a lot of good ideas but like in the field you know <laughs> you have to sweat a lot and having those difficult challenges but I think is that's why I think like the Swedish culture in, in building games is quite powerful in general is because this empathic leadership and consensus driven is very helpful in, in building that you know and and I really believe that some of the best games are coming out today in Sweden because they're also one of the powerhouse in Europe for AAA games is because of this culture and of course everyone needs to, need to grow and learn you know and and there's maturation in every studio but i think this is some very strong fundamental that as you mentioned martin earlier you know it's a job to learn how to lead and i think that should be praised and we're still a bit too much as an industry focused on oh i make this fantastic graphics or anything like this and this is what is valued like this the producer um is still not valued enough. And, and I will tell a story quite interesting is, uh, I will not name the company, but a company I work for where basically we have people asking, why do we need more producers? Like there's like four more producer positions open, you know, and I, that was a crisis because people didn't understand what producers were doing. And the two we already had were completely overburned already. Like they were completely burned out and they quit the call in rage because like, how can people say that we're not needed while we're working 60 hours per week? 
And that is very hard on how to show that invisible work to people. And it's an education process that we as leaders in this industry need to keep hammering into people very early on, you know, in, because yeah, super easy to show a nice video and nice feature, right? But like showing that things getting smooth, you know, how do you praise your producers? Like, what's the question? That's the next podcast. Like, how do you praise and, and make your producers shine, you know, for your team? But yeah, sorry, it's just, I would be, um, this is my, one of my, you know, like uh, battle horse uh, topic. I like it. I think we'll leave it there, guys. Producer lives matter. Uh, this has been the Evo Gaming Podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Lisa, Martin, Robin, and Sophie for providing their insights. You've all been fantastic guests. And thank you, everyone at home, for listening. If you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts or just want to chat, reach out to me on LinkedIn at Harry Foku. Foku is spelled P-H-O-K-O-U. Bye, everybody. Bye.